0: Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash radio. And now, here's today's show.
1: Hello everyone. Today's guest is that iconic, adorably precocious, red-haired, former child star of the 1970s, Mason Reese. I'm your host, Jan Jaffe. Welcome to Your Best Life. Mason Reese is a former child actor who appeared in numerous television commercials in the 1970s, particularly for Underwood Deviled Ham, It's a mord. Post Raisin Brand and Dunkin' Donuts Dunkin' Munchkins brand donut holes. He was also a frequent guest on the Mike Douglas Show. Appeared on the cover of TV Guide in December 1973 and played drums in several bands in the, ni- in the late 1980s. He was also part owner of several nightclubs and restaurants in New York City, including Paladar, Now Bar, Mason's, and Destination Bar. Mason now manages young singers and bands via his. Management company, Mason Reese Management. I am so excited to have Mason Reese as my guest on today's show. Welcome, Mason.
0: Hello, Jan. I, I got to tell you, that lead up was so extensive, I don't have anything more to say.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you covered everything. My Lord. <laughs> as I,
1: that, As I said, that will be a first if you have nothing more to say. Well, and that I would think, be, uh, but,
0: but, yeah, wow, I hope <laughs> I can live up to all of that.
1: Oh, I think you can and uh, I think between the two of us you and I always have a lot to say to each other. Absolutely. So first of all <laughs> first of all, I wanna say you know, what a treat it is to have you here on the show as as uh, a guest. Thank you
2: very much. Thank you.
1: Uh and you know, I I just want to take a moment to express my deep and sincere condolences for the recent loss of your dad. I know that, oh, that thank
2: was,
0: you, Dan. yeah. You know, I mean he uh he, he died at 85. He almost made it to uh, May, which would have been his 86th. But uh, he he lived a great life. He really did. And he lived it on his terms, and he always was an adventurous guy. And, um, you know, as, as everyone says, I'm glad that his last few days were not painful. Uh, he was put into hospice. They took very good care of him. And, uh, in fact, I leave on Friday to go to uh, Arizona which is where he lived for the last uh, 5 years I believe and uh for his services and uh thank you very much that's very sweet of you
1: oh well thank you um and and the the kind of the testimonial that you wrote about him in Facebook was really beautiful again oh um,
0: yeah you really... know it, it 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 was very heartfelt and you know my father and I were very very close and uh we shared a, a very unique relationship a really unique loving uh... bond you know uh when i was young we would hold hands walking down the street we were never afraid to give each other a hug and a kiss we were very very loving and, and uh my whole family really but you know my father was a very sensitive man uh he cried quite a lot which is where, where i think i get it from sometimes but um yeah i i i wanted to put some i don't really talk about very personal things on facebook I usually try to keep it light and, and airy and easy peasy, but I wanted to say something about my father and I wanted to express some feelings about his life and and, and my relationship with him and uh I, I think I accomplished that.
2: You
1: certainly did. Thank you so much. And you know, oh, yeah. I just wanted to I just wanted to invite our listeners to call in. We we uh welcome your calls, questions, comments and contribution to the to the discussion here, the number is six four six seven one six nine three nine seven. We love your participation, so we'd love to hear from you again or if you just want to say hello to Mason, so the yes. number again <laughs> the number again is six four six seven one six. Nine three nine seven. So what most of the listening audience doesn't know is that you and I, Mason, have been friends for over thirty years. Can you believe Oy, it? Oi, hey, <laughs> yeah. You've you've always years. lived in this right. You've always lived in this neighborhood, right? And you grew up
0: here, yeah, except for like that one the little on the left side, which is where right, I grew up Right. Except live, for that one
1: stint when you were across well, town.
0: Yeah, I lived on the I lived on the Upper East Side for two years, but and I lived in LA for one year. Um mm-hmm. in nineteen seventy seven I lived in LA. But um yeah, I mean I I'm a New Yorker and I'm an Upper West Sider and mm-hmm. uh I, I love the neighborhood and um yeah, I, I guess I guess you had mentioned that we met when I was about eighteen. Is that mm-hmm. is that really true?
1: <laughs> I think yep.
0: <laughs> wow. That's about yeah. to, that's about to be 33 years.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know it was over slightly over 30. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I did not realize it was that long.
1: Yeah, and I remember when you lived on the east side, you used to call me. We we would talk very frequently and you'd call and you were always complaining
2: oh. about
1: how you did
0: <laughs> <laughs> about how unhappy you were. <laughs> Well, you know, the sad part part was, and I hope I don't offend anybody in the process, but I actually really liked my apartment. Uh, I just didn't like where I was living. Right. You know, I liked the actual physical apartment itself. I enjoyed it very much, but Mm -hmm. I just didn't like the neighborhood. And it was kind of one of those things where I found it last minute, and it was a very good deal, you know, Mm rent-wise. And I did sign a two-year lease, and quite honestly, from day one, I just really wasn't happy there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I squeaked by and I survived, but yes, yeah. I'm sure I was quite unhappy. And I'm sure I complained quite a bit.
1: <laughs> well, I think you you liked your apartment a lot. You just didn't like going downstairs and outside there. Um, yeah,
0: I just didn't yeah. <laughs> like the neighborhood. I found it to be very right. sterile and and exactly. very cold. And and uh, you know the Upper West Side is anything but you know it's mm-hmm. not sterile it's not cold it's very it's very family oriented it's very welcoming and
2: uh, yeah
1: it's a real neighborhood over here and your mom really whom I adore your mom still lives nearby in fact she used to be an actress right
0: yes as a matter of fact there was just a beautiful article in the New York Post about my mother. Strangely enough, you know, everyone refers to her as Mason Reese's mother, but maybe I'm going to be Sonia Darren's son, you know, at at Uh this point because she's getting a lot of press. Um, My mother was in a very, very classic, legendary movie called The Big Sleep with Humphrey Bogart. Wow! And my mother was the second female lead to Lauren Bacall. She played Agnes, who was the woman who ran the bookstore. That I remember
1: book. Agnes.
0: Absolutely, that was my mom. And what happened was, there are only two surviving people from that movie: my mother and another actress named Dorothy Malone, who ended oh up God. having quite a lucrative career. My mother mm. did not. My mother really didn't do very much, and and really never, uh, you know, materialized into a, into a well-known actress, except with the die-hard fans. You know, the people Mm. who really follow these kind of things. So, Mm. recently, it was the 70th anniversary of the movie. I mean, that's mind-boggling to think that, but it is. Wow. And they wanted to interview somebody. And the writer from the New York Post, a lovely man named Lou Luminick, who's the head of the uh, film and critic department, uh, actually reached out to me on Facebook Because I guess on Wikipedia or IMDB or one of these other search engines, it is listed that I am her son. So Lou reached (laughs) out to me. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, Lou reached out to me and said, I hate to tell you this, but I'm not calling to speak to you. I'm actually calling to speak to your mom. And (laughs) I said, well, Lou, let, let me see if my mom would be willing to do it because my mom is kind of a very quiet person when it comes to stuff like that. She really doesn't like to talk about her early career, but she was willing to do a phone interview with Lou and uh we got it done and there was a beautiful half a page in uh in the New York Post and uh yeah, so my my mom at the age of 91 and Please don't get angry at me for revealing your age, Mom. Um, but you know she's kind of getting like this crazy resurgence out of nowhere. It's it's kind of wacky.
1: That's fabulous. That is so, yeah. and I so love her. You know, I've seen her. I've met her so many times, and, oh, of and at each of, you know, at each of the your club openings, I, I know she was there for at least some of them. Was uh, oh, absolutely, um, but I'm not, yeah,
2: absolutely, she's,
1: amazing woman, just. So lovely. You know, I think most everyone who was around and at all aware in the 1970s remembers your Underwood deviled ham commercials.
0: And that was it's, the big a one. Yeah, right? it's a right? Yeah, it's a, it's a I, Yeah, that was the big one.
1: <laughs> right. Would you mind telling us a little about that period in your life and how the word Borgashmord came into being?
0: Well, I, I can definitely answer one of those questions. You know, the funny thing is I know a lot of people in my life that can remember stories about their lives going all the way back to the age of three, four, whatever. Mm
2: -hmm. I
0: actually don't have the sharpest memories of particular days that I worked or commercials I worked on. Um, I have a a, a faint memory here, a faint memory there. Um, I can tell you what life was like in general, but I cannot mm-hmm. necessarily tell you what it was like on the set the day of, you know. Um, and I don't know why. I just don't have those vividly sharp, um, you know, memories of, of those days. But I can tell you I do know about the word smorgasbord. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, originally, <clears throat> in the script, it says it's like having a smorgasbord or smorgasbord, mm-hmm. however the, the literal pronunciation is. And the advertising director at the time, who actually was directing the commercial, too, wanted me to mispronounce the word. He didn't like it as it was written on the copy. He wanted something funny, something unique, something different. And Andy was his name, Andy Doyle. And Andy came up to me and said, Mason, I'd like to try something a little different. I'd like you to mispronounce the word smorgasbord. And I said, but Andy, I, I know what the word means. I, I, know, I know the real word, and I don't, want, I don't want America to think that I don't know what the word is. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, I was a feisty little kid. So Andy, in his brilliance, decided that he was going to get it out of me no matter what. So he wrote down on a yellow pad of paper a dozen or so different ways to mispronounce the word. And one of them was Borgesmord. So I picked out that one. So Andy looks at me in the eyes and says, Mason, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what, Andy, what? He goes, Borgesmord is smorgasbord in Swedish. (laughs) Which is an utter and complete lie.
2: Uh... He was lying right to the face
0: of a -a six-and-a-half-year-old. But what it did psychologically was it made me actually feel smarter than I really
2: was.
0: (laughs) So Andy Doyle got one over on me, which Mm. is what a good director is supposed to do, is supposed to get the best out of you, and ultimately got me to mispronounce the word. And quite frankly, I really believe that's what made the commercial. Uh That's really what made that commercial an iconic commercial. And that ran for five years, all over, everywhere. And I won the Clio Award, which, for people who don't know, is like the commercial advertising version of the Oscar.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, It's
0: called the Clio, and I won the Clio for the best actor in a commercial for that year. I had not
1: remembered that you had won the Clio, but I think everybody remembers, anybody who was at all conscious during that yeah. period of time, <laughs> Remember yeah. that commercial, and it was Borgesmord, and the way you said yes. it, and it wasn't just yes. that it was you were just the cutest little thing, you know. Well, so, um, you. so the combination of that and and the way you said it's a Borgesmord. I mean, yeah. Uh, I but that's fantastic! What a great story. So you were six and a half.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it, it aired oh, when I was God. seven, and you know it. It's just one of those things you know it, it, it kind of what I like to call a perfect storm, you know
2: being mm-hmm. at the
0: right place at the right time with a unique look. I'd like to think I had a unique talent, so when you add all those things together, it, mm-hmm. it just worked, and I had done a bunch of commercials before that one, including I believe post raisin brand. I think I did that before Underwood, although I mm-hmm. could be wrong on the timing. Um, but that was the one that really hit. That was the one that kind of was the buzzword on on the lips of Americans for years and years, and that's ultimately what brought me to, and here comes the segue, uh, <laughs> it, br- it brought me to the eyes of Mike Douglas.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, winning the Cleo Award and that commercial being so popular brought me to the attention of the bookers for the Mike Douglas show. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I owe everything to him. I mean if it weren't for Mike and his and his unbelievable um love and and graciousness and, and, and you know, just really coddling my career and helping me, um, you know, I'm sure I would not have had the uh the popularity that I was able to attain.
2: Mm.
1: Well I don't know, Borgishmore really put you put you out there for what? at least in, in the yeah. you know commercials make they play them so often and that really i think that was that was so um instrumental in getting you out there if in the first well, place that really commercial
0: was running you know 20 times a day in every city in the world yeah I mean, it was
2: just over right, you know,
0: right. they beat you over the head with it but but it mm-hmm. worked i mean it was yeah, highly successful for the Underwood Company. I ended up mm. doing a couple of more commercials for them for different products, chicken spread and liverwurst and a few things. And um, they were all very popular, but not like that one. Mm-hmm. So that was the one.
1: So let me ask you, before we get on to talking about Mike Douglas, um, how do you have any memory of how old you were when you started and how you even got involved in this?
0: Oh, absolutely. I I, I started in the business when I was four. Um, There was a woman who lived in our building growing up over on West End Avenue who had a son that was not so much of an actor, but he did a lot of modeling and a lot of print work in magazines and newspapers, a little bit of acting. And at the age of two, she basically confronted my mom and said, Mason is absolutely adorable. You should get him involved in acting. And I had three older siblings that were seven, eight, that were eight, nine, and ten years older than myself. So they were all, you know, still living at home. And the idea of carrying me under one arm and carrying a bag of diapers under the other and having three other kids to take care of was really an overwhelming thought to my mom, especially with her acting background. Uh, When Mm -hmm. she left the acting world, she was not particularly fond of it. You know, it didn't It didn't hold the greatest memories for her. So the lady kept on persisting over and over again until I was about four years old. And at that time, I was very verbal and very outgoing. And uh, at that point in time, my mom brought up the idea to me. And I liked it. I thought it'd be interesting. It'd be an adventure, something fun to do. And I did one print ad which aired in, in many local newspapers in New York for Kellogg's cornflakes. And <laughs> then I literally went to my first audition for Ivory Snow Laundry Detergent. and You it was remember for, this? Oh, yeah. You, oh, my was, goodness. It was for uh, Ivory Snow, and it was going to be a regional New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania commercial for their detergent. Well, what we didn't know was that at the age of four, I was able to memorize the script backwards and forwards. Wow. Okay. just I read the lines over and over a few times with my mom, and I memorized it, and that was it. And I ended up beating out 800 kids for the lead part. Uh, there yeah. were other kids in the commercial, but I was the talking part of it. And mm-hmm. what they liked about me, I believe, was the fact that I was so verbal, but mm-hmm. so young-looking, I mean, I probably didn't even look like I was four. I probably looked even younger. Um, but I was so verbal and so outgoing that I landed the role. I ended up doing a couple of more commercials for Ivory Snow, one of which won another Clio for Best Product. And wow. that ultimately led to a couple of other commercials that I did. Nothing monumental. I did one for Thick and Frosty, which was like a chocolate milkshake kind of thing. And I think Post Raisin Brand and a couple of others, uh, Matchbox, Fighting Furies, and a, and a bunch of others. But then I landed Underwood. And truth be told, after I landed Underwood and won the Clio that year, I never had to audition ever again. Uh huh. That was it. My auditioning mm-hmm. days were done. Um, it now got to the point where either you wanted to hire Mason Reese or you didn't. And if you did, my agent was going to tell you what you were going to be paying me. It wasn't going Mm -hmm. to be scale, and it wasn't going to be like everybody else, because at that point in time, I was a proven commodity.
2: Mm -hmm. And
0: that was pretty incredible at the age of seven to never have to audition ever again.
1: Wow. It sure was.
2: Yeah.
1: My goodness. Yeah. So, um, wow, that was so. Your mother obviously was, and she had a new career, which was <laughs> taking care of your career.
0: Pretty well, much. Oh yeah, and and that was no simple task. Um, yeah. I mean, there was, a, uh, you know, there were times where the demand was great, and mm-hmm. it took a lot of time, and there was a lot of travel involved. Um, luckily, though, again, and I, 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 I don't want this to come across in any way, shape, or form as as arrogant or flippant, but part of the deal was again if you wanted to hire me we were going to shoot the commercial in new york mhm because that's where i was based and my mm-hmm. mother and father did not want me to have to travel for a half a day do a commercial and come back the next day mm-hmm. they didn't want to put me through that kind of strain so right
1: so how how do you think that that affected you did you know from what you can remember at that time, growing up and being so young, um, what kind of effect do you think that had on you?
2: Well,
0: you know, I, I think that the biggest issue for me was the fact that I was so instantly recognizable on the streets of New York. Mm-hmm. So I, I constantly had to be watched everywhere I went. I was never alone, ever, Um you know, even in later years, I wasn't allowed to walk outside really by myself. Um, wherever my mom or my father and I would go, or my brother, if he was the one watching me, um, you know, we would literally get mobbed. I mean, people would surround mm. me and, you know, ask me for autographs or want to give me a hug or, or whatever it may be. And um, it was it was quite overwhelming at times. And... <laughs> The truth be told i never really I never really fully comprehended why everybody was so happy to see me. Mm-hmm. you know my attitude was, well, I'm just being me, I'm just doing what I do, you know mm-hmm. why why is everyone you know wanting a piece of me, so to speak you know, and so that was a little bit difficult for me to really understand and get a grip on um but the beauty of it was is that I had very loving and supportive parents and Their attitude was very simple. We want you to be happy. This is going to be a roller coaster. We want you to enjoy the ride. But the day that you wake up and it's no longer fun for you, and it's no Mm. longer an adventure, and it's no longer a roller coaster ride, that's the day that we walk away. Mm. That's the day that you stop, because it's not worth it to be doing something that makes you unhappy, like, you know. And there did come a time, much later on in my life, when that did start to happen, but certainly not in the young years, not in the early years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that that was probably the thing that affected me single handedly the most was dealing with the crowds of people and not really understanding why. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I would I would do the Mike Douglas show in Philadelphia, and I would walk out mm-hmm. the backstage door, and there would be three, four hundred people there. Wow. And literally, I mean, they had to whisk me into the car, you know, to to get me out of there. I mean, it was like a little mini Beatles kind of thing, you know, <laughs> on, on a much smaller scale. But that's kind of how it felt with the yelling and the screaming and people wanted, you know, to grab me and pull up my hair and, you know, whatever else. So, you know, my mother and father were just very, very protective people.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: they never wanted me to get a big head about it. They never talked about money with me.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, we never
0: discussed what kind of money I was earning. We never discussed privileges. You know, they wanted me to feel truly like a 7, 8, 9, 10, 12-year-old, whatever. And I think, in retrospect, that that was probably pretty damn important.
1: Yeah, it it certainly is. I mean, uh, but were you you able to have uh, friends at that point when you were doing all of this?
0: Well, the thing was is that I, I never really identified, to be honest with you, I never identified with children.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: always felt more comfortable in the company of adults because when you're on set, everybody's a lot older than you are. So, right. you know, the cameramen, the grips, the lighting people, makeup, hair, whatever it may be, the director,
2: mm-hmm. they're all
0: adults. And they treated me, in most cases, like an adult. You know, they didn't patronize me. They didn't talk down to me. They didn't pat me on the head.
2: You Mm -hmm. know, I
0: had a job to do. I came in and I was expected to do my job,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, and do it on time and not cost them money to go over budget. So, you know, that was something that was very important. And I mean, at the age of seven, I learned how to roll craps. You know, I learned (laughs) how to play poker. I mean, you know, these are things that, you know, when, when you are taking a break on set, when you're taking lunch or whatever you're doing, you know, you you just hang out with the grips and you hang out with the with the adults. So truth of the matter is, when I would go back to school and they would be talking about history and algebra and mathematics and, you know, whatever, I would think to myself, Well, I rode an elephant and was the ringmaster in the Barnum and Bailey Circus
2: <laughs> and I
0: co hosted the Mike Douglas show for three weeks and I piloted the Goodyear blimp live on television, and wow. I'm taking a private I'm a private VIP tour of the White House. Algebra is pretty damn boring. <laughs> well,
1: I would think so. Um, you know, I didn't. You you toured you toured, When did you tour the White
0: House? When I was seven or eight, Nixon was in office.
2: As a matter oh of fact, God. I
0: just missed him, literally. But I was in his office. And I actually got to sit behind Teddy Kennedy's office over at the, um, I guess it was the Senate, right? Yeah. The, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: And and I actually sat behind his desk and I put my feet up on his desk and he walked in.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and what did he
1: say?
0: Yeah, well, I don't remember the words, but I remember he mm-hmm. was unbelievably nice to me.
2: Oh, I mean, well, you were the so nicest cute.
0: man. Yeah, and he gave me an autographed picture and, you know, just but i but i did miss I did miss Nixon literally by moments um he I don't know if people know, but there's actually an underground train that goes between the White House and the Senate, and it's like a little trolley car train way underground and I wow. rode on that I got to ride on that, and <laughs> uh, you know, I had my own private secret service agent taking me around, so you know when you do things like that,
2: you mm-hmm. know.
0: 2 plus 2 uh, equals, uh, you know, A, B, C, doesn't exactly hold your attention. Right. You know, right. and consequently, I was not a good student in school. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really flaked out quite a bit on on the times that I was there. And other than maybe a very, very small handful of younger people, I really never had a lot of friends.
1: Well, it sounds like you had a lot of friends in the business, and you were a very busy child.
0: Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly Mm -hmm. right. But I went to professional children's school, which Mm -hmm. is a school that caters to young people who are in the performing arts, whether they are dancers at School of American Ballet or they are a violinist at Juilliard. Or an actor Mm -hmm. in movies and television. They cater to all of those young people. Milton Berle went there. Brooke Shields went there. I mean, the list is is endless Mm -hmm. of who went there. And what they do is they tailor the curriculum to your schedule. Mm -hmm. So if you're literally gone for a month because you're on tour with a Broadway show, well, that's what they do. You know, I was never never gone for that long, of course, but Mm -hmm. there were times when I was out of school for days at a time, and... I would make up the curriculum either at home or on you know whatever. So it was it was pretty good. I mean it's a good system. It definitely works. It
1: definitely is. Absolutely better yeah. than not, you know, not catering to you and and giving uh, obviously they gave you what what you needed. You right. know, um I just want to say that here on the Life Coach Radio Networks, we're proud to have as our sponsor audible.com audible.com is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the internet offering customers a new way to enhance and enrich their lives every day. Audible is the preeminent provider of spoken word audio products, which include more than 100,000 audio programs from more than 1,800 content providers. Receive a free audiobook with your 30-day trial when you sign up with Audible today at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash life coach radio now here's an audible book that's related to today's topic you look like that girl a child actor stops pretending and finally grows up written and narrated by lisa jacob so don't forget to sign up for a one month free trial to get your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash life coach radio audible.com making listening a tool for life and now back to our show. Um, you know, I just can I, can want I just, to remind. Can I just,
0: can I just say something sure. about that? You know, yeah. when I was very young, I was an avid reader. Okay, mm-hmm. I read a lot, especially in school, and I I, I love to read. But I got to tell you, as I've gotten older, my attention span, my ability to read for long periods of time, has really diminished. And I'm not exactly sure why. I don't have ADD. Uh, You know, I'm not obsessive and compulsive where I have to go clean everything every two seconds. But (laughs) my my ability to actually put a book in my hands and really read it has definitely diminished as I've gotten older. And many, many people over the years have suggested that I go to audiobooks.
1: Well, here's a great opportunity. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's because it's something that you can listen to and absorb, mm-hmm. and you don't have to have the, the mental focus to read every little letter that's on the page. And also, I have to wear glasses now when I read, which happens to the best of us, of course. So mm-hmm. maybe that's what makes it a little bit more difficult as well. So I would imagine that you know an audiobook would be ideal for anyone who kind of falls into that category.
1: Absolutely. I just want to remind our callers that we would love to hear from you. If you want to call in with a question, a comment, or just to say hello to Mason, the number here is 646-716-9397. Again, that's 646-716-9397. So, um, getting back to the Mike Douglas Show, which you yeah. co-hosted, you said for three weeks even. Three um, separate I'm weeks. One- yeah. Yeah, and so I'm wondering who your favorite—I don't know if we'll call them co-guests on the yeah. Mike Douglas yeah. Show were. I know, I know, you were on one time with Leonard Nimoy. I and- was on with
0: Leonard Nimoy. Here's what happened. Okay. Okay. <coughs> very, very briefly, I'll make a long story as short as I possibly can. So. <laughs> The very first time I did the Mike Douglas show, I was a guest, and Ava Gabor was the co-host. Oh, my. So I had never done a national television show like that. And to be very honest with you, I was very, very scared backstage. And my father leaned down and said, Mason, if you really don't want to do it, we won't do it. But I'll make you a bet. I mean, I don't even know what that was. It might have been a donut. Mm-hmm. It might have been something, you know. He goes, <laughs> I will make you a bet that within one minute, you are going to be comfortable and everything will be fine. And I went out there, and I kicked butt. And they actually ended up bringing me back for a second seven-minute segment because I was, you know, doing so well. So as we were in the dressing room on the way back to the hotel, the lead talent booker, the, the the main talent booker for the show, <clears throat> came back to my mother and father and said, uh, uh, you know, Reese, Reese family, yes. Well, we'd, we'd like to discuss something with you. We'd like to run it by you and see how you feel about it. We would like Mason to co-host an entire week. <laughs> now, we're not talking about 14 minutes now. We're talking about 90 minutes, five shows in a row okay, my mm-hmm. mother and father literally, if I may say, probably crapped in their pants <laughs> because I did not have a filter.
1: I know. I did not
0: have, did not have an on and off switch, okay? <laughs> so they were really worried what may come out of my mouth <laughs> at any time. And given it was moment.
1: live, right? The shows were no, live?
0: It's not, no, it was not live. Oh,
1: they weren't not, live.
0: Not live. Okay. No, no. Um, we did two shows on a Monday, two, one show on a Tuesday, and then two shows on a Wednesday. So we shot five shows in three days. I wow. would say they were probably done about three weeks ahead of when they aired, something like that. Um, and, But they were in front of a live audience.
2: Mm-hmm. That they were.
0: I mean, there was a 300-person audience there. So they agreed to do it. Now, what they what the producers did was they... Wanted to fill 90 minutes with as many subject matters and guests as they possibly could that would keep Little Mason Reese entertained. (laughs) Okay? So, they had to always put in one guest that was kind of topical news, you know, Mm -hmm. like that might not really appeal to me so much, you know. But, yes, they brought on magicians, they brought on musical guests, they brought on. You know, they, they made me an honorary, you know, Philadelphia police captain. They let me drive the train in Philadelphia. Um, you know, they, they put me on the Goodyear Blint. Um So they were constantly doing things that they thought would keep me for 90 minutes, almost like a trained dog, really, you know, in some ways, <laughs> to keep me happy and focused. And I was a huge lover of two shows back in the day. I loved Star Trek, and mm-hmm. I loved Mission Impossible.
2: <laughs>
0: Those were two of my favorite shows on television.
2: Those were well, great shows.
0: They were great shows. Well, Peter Lupus, who was the strong man on Mission Impossible, the big guy, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. okay, I he came, now. On,
0: he came ah. on and literally bench-pressed me over his head. That was pretty <laughs> fun. And then, of course, yes, one of the greatest clips and one of the greatest people I had on the show was Leonard Nimoy, and I was so enamored with him, you know. And while I understood that the show wasn't real, mm-hmm. I was so fascinated with the technical aspect of it. Like, well, how did the ship really fly, and how did, did the lights really light up on the on the on the boards, and what you know? And he was so patient with me. And so sweet and understanding of the fact that I was an innocent little kid, mm-hmm. you know, but yet a very advanced innocent little kid. Right. So he answered the questions as an adult, but in a very simple and and loving way. So yeah, that's it's an adorable
1: clip. It's an absolutely adorable clip.
0: Yeah, and and just and and how cool is the suit? <laughs> I don't know.
1: The suit almost made me blind.
0: I I <laughs> liked the suit. I thought the suit was pretty cool. For those who don't know, he was basically wearing an entire suit made out of blue jeans, but like patchwork blue jeans. Yeah, that was, you know,
1: I mean, this was, the, was this the 70s? How old were you, or what year was, do you know? When, remember when this was?
0: Um, by the way, I don't know if you moved locations, but the phone is starting to have a little sound issue.
1: Ah, no, it's uh, fine. Now it's fine. Not...
0: Okay. Now it's okay. Thank um, you. I, I I was seven, so we're talking 1972. Oh my, god.
1: Oh my yeah. god! Well, okay. So back then people wore different sorts of things.
0: Oh yeah. But, but, <laughs> Leonard, but Leonard was a very flashy guy. He was a very hip guy. You know. Yes, he was. He was. Yeah, you know, he was like a hip swinging kind of cool cat. You know. And um, mm-hmm. and and just ah oh, just one of the nicest guys. But that was the whole goal of the show. Was for mm-hmm. ninety minutes to keep me as Entertained. busy as possible.
1: <laughs> and there was wasn't there some wasn't there some musical guest that? Oh, um, there were
0: tons of them. I mean, but there was had,
1: one that that made you did they make you cry or something? Oh uh, well,
0: that was that was Harry Chapin. Uh, okay. That was Harry Chapin. You know, I, I, I've always been a very sensitive person, and there are times when, as a child, things would affect me. And Mm -hmm. no one could understand why. No one got it. No one was inside my brain and could understand why this small little thing, seemingly insignificant, would affect me and make me cry. And he had just done, you know, a very big hit song. I'm sure everyone knows, Cats in the Cradle. Mm -hmm. And Cats in the Cradle, if you listen to it lyrically, is a very poignant, beautiful song.
1: So at 7 years old you were listening carefully to the lyrics most of yes. us yes. at that age can barely make out the words uh, we we just hear sounds and we hear music yes. and, uh, yes. and and there you were so to say you were advanced is kind of uh that's an understatement <laughs> Well
0: also at the age of 7 I was I was analyzed with a 30 year college reading level at that wow. point so I, I definitely was not uh, the norm, you know.
1: No, you uh, were I was definitely kind not of a,
0: a, a, an offbeat little guy. Um, so Harry Chapin was booked to appear on the show, and that song, "Cats in the Cradle," always made me cry, and uh. to this day, I'm not exactly sure why, because the 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 storyline of of the song is about a young boy who doesn't really have a relationship with his father that his father hmm. is always too busy for him and then it turns a 180 where he becomes too busy for the father and that never happened with me and my father mm-hmm. my father was never too busy to spend time Aww. with me and to, and to but be maybe loved you with me. felt
1: maybe you you felt some empathy you know and compassion well, for I, the I for the that I for did. the character in the song Oh, that I so believe lovely. I
0: did so, you know, let's Harry, go, let's,
1: I'm sorry, go
0: on. No, I was just going to say, what happened was is that Harry did the show, and mm-hmm. I asked him before the show, are you going to do Cats in the Cradle? And he said, no, I'm going to do something else. And then when Mike introduced Harry, he said, ladies and gentlemen, Harry Chapin's singing his hit song, Cats in the Cradle. Oh, my. And I literally broke down with cameras and 300 people in the audience and I started sobbing, Aww. and the last thirty minutes of the show, they actually had to do the show without me.
2: Really? Wa- oh my goodness! I walked goodness. off the show. You oh know? my goodness!
0: And and they just you know played it off as though you know Mason takes that song very personally, and uh, mm-hmm. you know he'll be back tomorrow, you know that kind of thing.
1: Wow! Um,
0: you know, and Mike was very loving about it and very supportive, and it was not a mm-hmm. problem. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they worked around it. But the song had a lot of uh, a lot of meaning to me.
1: Well you were seven years old too. Oh my god, that's yeah. sweet, what yeah. a sweet story. So, yeah. you know, let's let's move on. Um, I know that um you played drums in the eighties with some bands. Do you have any yes. different memories?
0: <laughs> well, you know, drums I started playing when I was about fourteen. And I never had aspirations to become a famous rock and roll drummer. That wasn't my, my desire. It was more so something that made my heart feel good. You know, mm-hmm. that that I was able to pound on the drums and, you know, play great songs and things like that. And I was fortunate enough in 87, 88, 89 to be hanging out with a lot of incredibly talented musicians, people that mm-hmm. had toured all over the world. You know, I played with David Letterman's horn players, and I played with Phoebe Snow's keyboard player. I mean, I got to play with a lot of really incredible people. And we played a lot of clubs around New York City. And again, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the fame. We just played to have fun. And that was something that, quite honestly, I miss. I I would love to do that again. Um, You know, it's not easy to round up a couple of guys and play anymore. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's not many live music venues in New York City anymore. And all my friends have gone on to much bigger and better and they're just not available. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but like I said, it was never anything that I dreamt of being a multi-million platinum selling artist. I really just did it to make my heart feel good. Oh, that's great,
1: yeah, um, what people may not know uh, unless they're they're quite local is that you yeah. owned several restaurants and nightclubs in the years that I've known you um and in fact, you invited me to the openings for all of them, yeah, so I'm curious yeah. what made you decide to become involved in that line of work?
2: Well,
0: as my career was starting to fizzle when I was about sixteen and seventeen it really became apparent to me that the knocking on the door was becoming much less frequent. So, growing up in New York City in the early 80s, which I'm sure you will remember quite fondly, was, (laughs) you know, a very pivotal time in New York. And New York nightlife was booming. You know, the nightlife scene, the nightclubs and things like that. Mm -hmm. And although... I And I can I can proudly declare I've never had a drink in my life. I've never mm-hmm. smoked a cigarette. I've never smoked pot. The only drugs I've ever done in my entire life were in a hospital after mm-hmm. I hurt my leg one time. So I live a very, very straight life when it comes to that, mm-hmm. okay?
1: Mm-hmm. But, very clean, uh,
0: yes. Yeah, very clean. I don't eat so well. I need to lose a few pounds, but that's uh, it's a subject for another time. Um, <laughs> the bottom line is, though, I wanted to experience New York nightlife. I wanted to go out and I wanted to see what it was all about. And to be, again, not sound arrogant or flippant, I was still very, very famous at that point. Mm
2: -hmm. So
0: every nightclub I went to, every lounge, every bar, every club, literally, it was like when I walked up to the door, it was like parting the Red Sea. Mm -hmm.
2: You know,
0: everybody moved out of the way. Every doorman knew who I was. You know, every famous club, you know, wanted me to come to their club and the Velvet mm-hmm. rope opened, and then they ushered me to a VIP table. And it was really quite an incredible experience for me. So, again, to make a long story short, as, much, as short as I can, I realized after a number of years that I actually enjoyed New York nightlife, that I really kind of, I, I understood it for what it was. I was starting to understand the dynamics of it, the financial part of it, and I literally became a, a sponge. And I and I observed and I watched and I listened. And I decided at the age of thirty, back in nineteen ninety five, that I wanted to open up my very first nightclub. I felt it was something instinctively that I would be good at. I'm I'm good with numbers, I'm creative, and I'm good with people for the most part. And there you go. In
2: ah, 1995, okay.
0: I opened up the Now Bar, and mm-hmm. we oh, I we remember ten years. We were there for ten years.
1: Wow, that was the old Mars Bar,
0: right? No, that wasn't no, was was the, the Mars milk bar? bar. Which one? The, the Milk, milk bar. bar.
1: Excuse me, yeah, Mars Bar was the down. It was further bar. down. Yeah.
0: Milk Bar, yeah, Mars, right? Mars Bar was over in in the meatpacking district of Manhattan.
1: That was a fun
2: place
0: and too. <laughs> that was a fun place. That was that was yeah. That was pretty crazy. Um, yeah, we were the old Milk Bar that had been closed mm-hmm. for many years by the time we got there. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, we got we gutted it, renovated it, turned the downstairs into kind of like a grotto, cave kind of a feel, mm-hmm. with a little waterfall in the back and the whole thing. And mm-hmm. we we had a pretty good ten year run. You know, Absolutely. and uh, and then I opened up Paladar, which is a great Latin fusion restaurant in the East Village. And
2: oh,
1: great food, too. Oh, I love that food.
0: place. The, mm-hmm. the food was phenomenal, and we, we got a lot of acclaim, and New York Magazine ranked us top 100 in all of New York, and, you know, Time Out New York voted us Best New Lower East Side Restaurant, so we, we had a good run there, too. and We were there for about 11 and a half years.
2: Um mm-hmm. uh,
0: Destination Bar, which is my last place, uh, was just sold a year ago, but I was there for five and a half years. And to be honest with you, Jim, I'm mm-hmm. done. I'm done.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, well, that, that's, I put, that's a hard business. That's a really tough business. I did, I did business. 20
0: years in the night in the nightlife business in New York City, and I'm tired. And mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is, is that it really is a business for the young.
1: Yeah. It really it's truly t- is. It's tough. It's a really yeah. tough Tough
2: business. Yeah, it's it's a so, real
0: grind. It really mm-hmm. truly is. And the truth of the matter is it's not the way it was back in the eighties and nineties. You yeah, know,
2: everything things have has changed really with changed. our
0: economy. New York right. City has changed. It's a very mm-hmm. different uh the young town is really very different. Now. Yes. Mm-hmm. The town is very different in a lot of ways. And unfortunately, what that means is that a lot of the creativity and a lot of the uniqueness of nightlife has also disappeared. And you
1: know, I I want I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. I really I I'm going to interrupt because I really want. There's so much more I want. We're running out of time, and I re- there's a couple okay. of other things I really want to hit on. So um, I really want to talk about. it just briefly touch on the pilot that you recently completed, and you had yeah. a very interesting cast. So would you mind yeah. uh, quickly so telling
0: our was, listening audience was, a little? This relates back to what I said before about the door. You know, no one knocking at the door. Okay, Mm -hmm. So what do you do when no one knocks at the door? Well, what you do is you create your own door. Okay, Mm -hmm. So I contacted a very good friend of mine, Stephen Wisnopf, who was a former producer at TV Land. Mm -hmm. And I said to Stephen, Stephen, I want to get back in front of the public eye. What do you think we should do? And Stephen said, well, we need to form a production company, which we did. What is the name of that company? Borgashmore Productions. (laughs) <laughs> so there you go. A little homage to the old days, okay? Right. And what we did was he wrote and created a fantastic 30-minute sitcom. And a year ago, January, I went out to L.A. for five weeks, and we shot a pilot for the show. Now, the show is very much an old-fashioned kind of sitcom with very fast-pacing it's what they call a single-camera sitcom, so there's no live audience,
2: yeah. shot mm-hmm.
0: very much like a film, but in a very fast, snappy pace, okay? Mm-hmm. The show has a lot of actors in the show, which a lot of the older listening audience would absolutely identify with. We have Alison Arngrim, who played Little Nellie on Little House on the Prairie. We have Don Wells, who played Marianne from Gilligan's Island. We have Erin Murphy who played Tabitha on Bewitched.
2: <laughs> we have
0: Michael we have Michael Learned who is the mother on the Waltons. We also have Robbie Rist, who played Cousin Oliver on the Brady Bunch. We have Brandon Cruz who played Eddie on Courtship of Eddie's father. So these are all people that are involved in the pilot and will be regular mm-hmm. guest stars if we if we sell the show. And it's a very modern sitcom. But with a lot of really recognizable classic sitcom actors.
1: Fantastic. So tell me, you said there was a, a new uh, something new about that happened. Well, what,
0: Some yes. news. Yes. Well, what, what, what we're going to do is we are actually going to create our own YouTube channel called Bernie ah. Productions on YouTube, and we are going to do five episodes, approximately four minutes each, as little teasers one that will lead into the next. So when you see number two, it will say on last week's episode you know, that kind Fantastic. of thing. Fantastic. And what we're gonna do is we're we're gonna create the buzz that way and then we are gonna submit ourselves to all of the festivals that are out in the country that have to do with what they call web series. And ultimately the the the, the, the ultimate dream is to be picked up by a network, obviously and uh, and then convert from a web series into a full, you know, 22-minute actual sitcom. Oh, that you know. sounds
1: so exciting. What a great, yeah. great idea. So tell me, so, what projects are you working on now?
0: Well, the other thing I, I, I did, Jan, is that I love young performers. I always have, I always feel a kinship with them. So that and my love of music combined, I opened up about... A little little less than a year ago, I created Mason Reese Management. And Mason Reese Management is a small little boutique management agency that works with young singers and young bands. We have people from New Jersey. We have people from San Antonio, Texas. I literally just flew back from Boca Raton, Florida, where I worked with this incredible 14-year-old rock and roll singer-guitar player, funny enough, whose name is Mason Pace. Uh-huh. So, I love I love the first name. Gotta love it. So we went in the studio. We recorded an incredible slamming rock and roll tune. Now we're going to put a press kit together and we're going to try to get the kid a record deal. So,
1: oh, that's so exciting! That's, and that's, that's really Mason Reese cons- Management.
0: Mason Management dot com. So uh, anybody can go on there, see the team that I put together, who we're working with. Um, you know, we're we're still a small agency. We only have four people right now on the roster, but we are growing, and we're you know we're going to try to promote young people and try to help them attain their dreams and their goals.
1: That's very exciting. I'm. I'm it really just, I'm is so exciting.
0: You know, it, it's something very different for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I never. I don't think I ever envisioned you know going on the other side of the table. You know, on mm-hmm. the professional side of things, I don't think I ever envisioned that, but it's challenging, mm-hmm. sometimes a little frustrating, but mm-hmm. truthfully very exciting, and ultimately I believe very rewarding.
1: That's great. So yeah. let me ask you this: as a former child star, yeah. why do you think? And we've kind of we touched on this a little bit before, but I want I want to know why you you think other former child stars have difficulties such as with drugs and alcohol and the law as, as they get older, as they grow up. You know, you, you haven't. You, no, like I have not. Like you said, not. you don't <laughs> drink, you don't do drugs, and I, I, you know, I've known you for more than right. half your life, and yeah. you d- I can speak for that. You, you, whenever yeah. you were in a bar or anything, you're sipping on a Diet Coke.
0: Exactly, so. right. And back in the day, it was tab. If you remember, oh Cab. right! <laughs> uh, I, I, I jokingly tell people I was literally breastfed on tab. Um, How hilarious. I mean, literally. But why, I mean, why had... do you
1: think that is so seriously about, okay. you know, why, okay. why other child performance stars? Just,
0: let me just tell you from my vantage point only about me, sure. and then I'll answer the other part of it very quickly. Okay. In my case, I had two incredibly loving and supportive parents
2: mm-hmm. that were
0: there every step of the formative years of my life. Now, Mm -hmm. neither one of them were drinkers. I think my father, maybe in his heyday, had five beers a year. Wow. I mean, just Mm -hmm. never drank. Not a drinker. Mm -hmm. My mother always lived a healthy lifestyle, never even has tasted coffee in her life. Oh, wow. Now, that's just me, okay? Mm
2: -hmm. Now,
0: let me address the other part very quickly. Mm -hmm. Okay, we all know who the cast of characters are. We all know who right. the usual suspects are. We know mm-hmm. the actors that have gotten in trouble. I'm not even going to mention names. Don't even right. need to. Because we write about them. We know mm-hmm. who they are. But I will say one thing. If you look at a cross-section of America, there are always kids getting in trouble with drinking and drugs. Mm -hmm. There are always kids getting arrested for doing stupid things. The problem is they never get put in the newspaper. All right. They never get any attention paid on them, okay, paid Mm -hmm. to them. The -hmm. truth of the matter is, Jim, if you take all of the actors over the last generations, the truth of the matter is it's an incredibly small percentage of them that get in trouble. But because mm-hmm. they when they do get in trouble, they are showcased and put up on a pedestal and have a spotlight you know shown on them, if that's the correct word
2: mm-hmm. uh, shined shown
0: um, all of a sudden, everyone says, "Oh my God, look what's happening to the child actor, they're all falling apart
2: absolutely, well, you know,
1: I don't want to is, interrupt you, you know yeah. i I love the point that you made, but we all of a sudden we have two callers. Oh, wow. So, okay. And we're getting to the end. We're probably going to run a little over, but I'd love to get them in. So, well, that's um,
2: beautiful.
1: Great. Yeah. So, um, caller, your number ends in 1017. Hello?
3: Hi, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Hello. How are you? What's I, I, your name? I know,
0: I know who this is.
3: Uh, <laughs> I'm just calling in to say hello to a friend of mine, Mason Reese. <laughs>
0: well, Well, hello, Cynthia Smith. Well, hello, hello,
3: I guess you know my phone number
0: 'cause I'm, pretty... i i i most i most certainly do gee, I just wanted to call
3: and say hello
0: and see how yes. it was going for you and it was yes, pleasure Jen. listening to what I got to hear well uh, thank you d- d- Jan, this is this is Cynthia smith who hello it was a very integral part of masonry's management, and we are uh we are working very hard to uh do all the things that we talked about to work with these young talented people. And to help them uh, reach their goals.
1: That's fantastic. Exactly. It's so nice to speak with you, Cynthia.
3: It's a pleasure to meet you, Jan. Such a nice show you have here. I'm sorry I couldn't um, be here for most of it because actually I am at a venue right now with one of our talent that we're representing at Mason Reese Management who's just rocking the house here at the Dubliner in Boca Raton, Florida. We're having a great time. And I just thought I'd call in for a second because he's got a break. And I just wanted to say hello and see how it's going. Oh, oh, well, thank cool. you
1: so much for calling. <laughs> it
3: sounds
2: like fun me. down there. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Oh, here. Cynthia, oh. Cynthia yeah. I
0: can guarantee you, Cynthia doesn't have any questions for me. No, okay.
3: I, I, I don't. I don't, <laughs> but I just wanted to call in and say hi and uh, and just let you know everything's going pretty well here. And, oh, that's great. Um, that's just great. wanted to wish you a lot to see how you're doing on the show tonight. And, Hello, Jan. Nice no, to meet you as well. We're, pleasure. we're, doing, pleasure. Great.
2: we're doing great. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: nice meeting
1: you too, Cynthia. Thank you so okay. much for calling.
3: You're very welcome. Um, we'll talk soon. And, Jan, pleasure to meet you. Have a wonderful night. Just right, to say Cynthia, well. We'll thank to you. you by hi. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Well,
0: that was nice.
1: Yes, that was. Yeah, Cynthia um,
0: Cynthia lives in in Boca Raton, and that's where one of our artists is. So he is actually playing a gig as we speak, and she's mm -hmm. there in support of him, and uh, that's very cool. Great.
1: Great. And now um, we have another caller. Your number ends in 4132. Hello, are you there, caller? I think we may have lost the caller. Hello,
2: 4132?
1: I think we lost the caller.
2: I'm going to mute the caller,
1: and I'll see if we can bring them back. In the meantime, I have um, another question for you. And I was wondering, um, you know, uh, what advice would the Mm. Mason-Reese of today give Mm. the Mason-Reese of 1973 or thereabouts? Mm.
0: Wow. Mm. (sighs) Okay. Okay a lot a lot of a lot of parents do come up to me and ask me for advice, and the truth of the matter is, I started at the age of four, okay
2: mm-hmm.
0: I would not necessarily recommend that.
2: Mm-hmm. I would
0: recommend to wait until a little bit later, maybe seven or eight, when the child does have a little bit more of a comprehension uh about what they're actually doing, mm-hmm. and i I I was a unique four-year-old. Maybe there are a lot of other unique four-year-olds, but the truth of the matter is is that I would just say that you need to have a thick skin. You need to understand that you're not always going to get a yes. More than likely, you're going to get a bunch of no's before you ever get your first yes. That it may at times seem... uh, like you're you're banging your head into a wall. But the truth of the matter is, if you believe in your abilities and you believe in what you have to offer, that ultimately you will succeed, that things will be okay. Um, I would also recommend that they do have a fallback in life, that they do go to school, that they do not depend on show business as their number one source of income, Uh to learn a trade, to do something, I was a very rare breed, Jam. and mm-hmm. I know a lot of child actors in, that I I've gotten to know over the last few years, and my experience, to be very honest with you, is uniquely different to theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, they went through a lot more struggles than I have, and um, you know, they're very very close to me, and we're 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 a tight little you know tight knit little group. And they've told me about some of the horror stories that have happened to some of them. Everything from the parents stealing their money to mm-hmm. some drugs and alcohol. And while I am incredibly passionate and, and sympathetic and empathetic, I do not identify with it. So I had a very unique life growing up. And I would say to a young actor who's looking to get into business, have the most fun you possibly can create it, create the whole thing and treat it like it's an adventure. Enjoy every moment of it, but don't let the nose and the rejection get you down because it's going to happen. you are going to get rejected, and if you can survive that, you will thrive, and you will be okay. And I think that would probably be the number one thing that I would preach to any young person looking to, you know, enter the business.
1: Great advice. Yeah. Really great advice. And, and I mean, if I could add to that, just having myself been a performer, not as a child, but... Yeah. Um, Pretty young, even so, and the yeah. rejection is really hard. And to not, you know, rejection is part of the game, and to not let it define you. That a rejection doesn't mean that you're terrible. It's a total rejection of you. You just may not be right yes. for the part, or whoever yes. is sitting there doing the the auditioning. You may remind them of someone they don't like. You know, it's... Yeah. It, oh, it, sure. It, right, and and that's what's so one more hard.
0: Second. I want to say one mm. more thing, and this is geared towards the parents. Okay, mm.
2: mm-hmm. if
0: if you are attempting to put in your, your child into the business, so you can live through them, through their accomplishments, because maybe you're a frustrated actor that never, you know, got to make it, and if you're attempting to make your child a star, so you can live vicariously through them. Then stop. Just stop it now. Don't even attempt to do that because that will never end well.
2: Great advice. Thank you so much for
1: that, Mason. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm I cannot believe we the time has just flown by and I mean we're already it's already after nine. So, um this has been such a wonderful and informative show. Oh, thank <laughs> and you. I, I really just...
0: appreciate you asking me to do it.
1: Oh, it was a delight, and I just want to thank thank you, Mason, for being on the show today. It's been a real delight for me. I'm Jan Jaffe, and it has been my privilege to have been your host this evening. I'd like to offer our listeners a free 30-minute discovery and strategy session, and for more information, you can always email me at info at com. You're invited to share any comments or feedback on our website, Life Coach Radio Networks, In addition to my solo interview show, I also host Think Tank, a roundtable discussion. And I would be delighted if you would join us for the next episode of Think Tank on March 23rd at 12 noon Eastern. Mason, would you care to share any closing thoughts or comments or website or book or contact information with our listening audience?
0: Well, I mean I am on Facebook, uh Mason Reese, I'm on Facebook. Uh I'm also on um Twitter uh, under Mason Reese M G M T that's an abbreviation for management, and uh Borges Productions dot com. That's it.
1: Fabulous. Thank you so much, Mason,
2: and uh, thank, thank you, you for too. being
1: on the show today. <laughs> I have so enjoyed having you with us, and it has been such a treat for me.
2: Oh, thank you, um, me too.
1: Oh, great. And I want to remind our listeners that all of our contact and bio-information is listed in today's show description. Now, I'm just going to take a moment to announce a few of our upcoming shows. On this, the Life Coach Radio Network, on March 19th at 10 a.m., The Audacity to Shine. On March 21st at 9 p.m., Courage to Climb. And on March 23rd at 12 noon, Think Tank, The Integral Nature of Anger, And on our sister network, the Life Coach Chat Channel, on March 14th at 7 p.m., Married After 30, debunking the elusive marriage myth for women in their 30s and 40s. So I again want to thank my wonderful friend and guest, Mason Reese, for joining me this evening and making this show a very, very special one. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.